Good afternoon and welcome to the Sitka Nature Show. This is your host, Matt. I want to thank you for joining me here in the third weekend of December 2022. We are just days away from the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year. The official solstice time is at 1247 Alaska time on Wednesday the 21st. With this clear and cold weather we've been having and the forecast for it to continue, I'm not sure it's going to make it quite through to Wednesday, but I've been uh, tracking the sun on the horizon as I'm able over the last few years. And this time of year, of course, it is often cloudy. Yesterday, I was able to see the sun dropping below the horizon, and I'm crossing my fingers that I'll be able to do so on the next couple of days as well. Conveniently, from where I like to watch, the sun is setting very near to Six Mile or Kulichkov Rock in Sitka Sound, so it provides a nice fixed uh, frame of reference for me to be able to tell how much the sun is moving and make comparisons from day to day. So I am curious to see if the sun actually drops below the horizon before reaching that island out there, or if it will just simply uh, keep going just a little bit to the other side of it as it did when I watched yesterday. So it's been a multi-year effort, but the weather this year is looking promising. I may not quite get it to solstice, but I think it'll be as close as I've managed to come. I hope you're finding things to explore and enjoy in the outdoors this time of year. And if you are getting out, I'd love to hear about it. Please feel free to send me an email, sitkanature at gmail.com, or get on Facebook and like the Sitka Nature page there. The conversation I have for this week's show is one I recorded a couple of days ago with Barth Hamburg. He retired from the U.S. Forest Service after 36 years. He's responsible for the design of many of the trails around here in Sitka and elsewhere in southeast Alaska as well. We'll go ahead and join the conversation now. The first encounter I probably had with, with your work, at least that I, well, I didn't know it at the time, but uh, su- subsequently found out about was Gavin Hill. I remember Gavin Hill being a bit of a mud slog, I think, before before the stairs went in, and then it become infamous for, for the stairs, you know, people counting the stairs on there. Yeah. Uh, and that was, was that one of your early projects here? Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was kind of an engineering marvel. You know, that was one of those trails up the mountain. It was probably some guy went, took a chainsaw and wanted to go deer hunting. And then it became a trail, and it goes straight up the fall line, so the water runs straight down the trail, and it turned into a pretty massive gully. Yeah. And so when we redid it, there was kind of an emphasis to stick with the same route and not try to reroute it, which meant that it had to be very steep, and that required all those steps. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed, I remember watching a little short video on um, YouTube some, somewhat recently. They were just talking about trails, and they're like, yeah. they said... The uh, the bane of trails is water and water moving. And so you're in a here, like we have plenty of water. They were talking like in dry country where every once in a while you get a little water. Right. But yeah, those organic soils are so erodible. And uh, yeah, it was it was probably one of the sore points in my career that, you know, those steps ended up being so difficult. Yeah. So it seems like over the years, I mean, I mean, imagine there's been technology improvements and and sort of uh, design considerations in terms of how trails are made, but maybe it's maybe it's been pretty steady. I don't know. I'd be kind of curious. Is that is the, is there been much uh, innovation, shall we say, in trail design over the years? Well, that's a really good question because you know originally, um, I'd say up until the early '90s, we pretty much did everything out of boardwalk mm-hmm. because red cedar was cheap, yellow cedar was cheap. And, uh, you know, there's hardly any soil around here that's suitable to have people hike on it more than five or ten times without it starting to get degraded. And so when we did the Edgecombe Trail, which I think was 92, Mm -hmm. that was the first phase, we started to take more seriously the idea of using gravel. 
And the idea of gravel is that, uh, you know, it's a more natural material. It, of course, gravel lasts forever. It's not without maintenance because it can kind of wash away if you get a really bad spot, if you haven't dealt with the drainage, and it can subside a little bit in muskegs. But um, the the boardwalk situation we were into, you know, it would last 20 years, and then we'd have to pay to demolish it and bring an all-new boardwalk. And um, so it turned out, you know, I, I think nobody did gravel before because they couldn't imagine you could deliver something as inexpensive as gravel with a helicopter, which is very expensive. Mm. But as it turns out, the economics of it, boardwalk and gravel, it cost about the same to construct. Hmm. Um, and, and when you build with gravel with a helicopter, you don't have to haul over the top of it with heavier equipment. So you can do it with only like eight inches of gravel and it'll last for a long time. Like that's all that was put on the Edgecombe Trail. Yeah, I remember being on that trail probably around the time that that, probably the first time I went up there was just before they did that work. And I mean, it's a seven mile long trail. And so that was, I don't remember how many years it took to get that one done. But yeah. <laughs> the first phase, I do remember the first time I went up there, uh, there were holes, there was boardwalk through the muskeg, but there were places where boardwalk was missing. And, and if you step just off the trail, you might end up to your knee in a, in a muskeg puddle kind of thing. Yeah, you know, that trail was originally um, located and built by the CCC. Yeah. And uh, and then it was redone by an earlier version of Oregon Woods. Barnaby Dow was on the crew. John mm. Straley was um, working for the Forest Service at that time. I think that was in probably the early 80s. They just did some minor structures. Um, and then I spent two whole summers up there living in the shelter and uh, doing the layout when we redid it. And, uh, you know, I flew over it a lot of times looking at it from the air, and I looked at aerial photos and tried to figure out a better route. And I can never found a, find a route that was better than what the CCC had come up with in the 1930s. So oh, I thought wow. that was pretty cool. Yeah, it makes me wonder how they, how they decided on that, like how much surveying they did or if there was already kind of an established way that people went up there. Because it's not the shortest way, like if you're talking about from the beach to the summit. However, it is, um, I guess, from a, from a location, like getting to the beach way, you wouldn't want to go to the places where it's shorter because it's pretty exposed out there. Yeah. Uh, getting to the shoreline. So There's a lot of deep gullies out there, as you know. Yeah. You know, you've got to kind of weave between them or you can really get into a mess. And bridges are expensive, so you want to avoid that if you can. Yeah, it's, it was a, an interesting trail to go back to then the second time and see all the gravel. And it looked like there was some sort of mesh or something that gets put down below that. And then you build up the gravel on top of it. And I guess... Presumably, this muskeg would just swallow it all up if you didn't do something like that. But with it, then does it just basically float on the peat is kind of the idea? Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, mm-hmm. And that, that's had various um, amounts of success. It does tend to work its way to the surface if it's not done just right. So, mm-hmm. And we've largely quit doing that because um, we found that it wasn't really necessary except in the wettest locations. Because, you know, we don't really want to put plastic in the ground if it's not necessary. Yeah. And so what do you, what, what happens these days when you have have kind of well, – I noticed they have redone Beaver Lake or, or are in the process maybe. I don't think it quite got done because maybe it was a helicopter um, mm-hmm. weather, weather for the helicopter when they were moving. They had lots of bags of rock, and it was, it was coarser rock. And, you know, it wasn't – I think Edgecombe was a lot of pretty fine stuff, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. And then – and this was, I noticed, significantly coarser than I remember seeing before, which I guess would – it would be less susceptible to just running off in, in rain, I suppose. Yeah, it is. Um, maybe a little less comfortable to walk on, perhaps, but mm-hmm. over time that would all settle, I imagine. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Edgecombe was done with D1, which is like what you put on your driveway. It's three-quarter inch minus. And then it was actually surfaced with cinder that came off mm. the cinder cone up out of Mud Bay. So we put two inches of cinder over the top of the whole thing. 
and which was really cool for a while, but it eventually kind of disappeared down into the mass of the gravel. But up at Beaver Lake, yeah, they're adding another lift to the gravel because it does, it does tend to subside for a while. It probably takes, well, Edgecombe's been in place for 20 years now, about, and the lower muskeg subsided quite a bit, but as soon as you get about a half mile in, it gets firmer soil and it's good still. Hmm. I suppose that's a big consideration is like, okay, what are you putting this trail over? And in places where it's rock, I guess, you know, you're going to do some things in places where it's, you know, who knows how many feet of peat yeah. <laughs> that, cause I was, I was in ADAC this, this year in the spring and there's a trail down to a place called Shagak Bay, I think it's called. Um, and the trail, I mean, it had ATV traffic, so a lot, lot heavier traffic and they, they ended up, um, banning ATV traffic there but but like the rut was it was essentially five feet deep like you're walking down and it had, it had gone through the tundra isn't nearly as thick here as the as the muskeg is here I, the tundra there I should say isn't as thick as the muskeg was here but it was working down through the volcanic ash and it was just this uh this wide white gully yeah four, four-wheelers are a whole other thing I mean they are really um they can really tear it up fast because all it takes is a little bit of wheel spinning and even with gravel trails they'll just kick it right out of place hmm. So that requires a whole different kind of design cross-section for the amount of gravel, what kind of gravel you'd put in. Typically for a four-wheeler trail, you'd use big stuff so it stays in place like a logging road. Mm. Yeah, I imagine that's a whole lot, whole other thing in terms of construction. And But then you presumably have heavy equipment for that that, that can help. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was impressed with the change to the Stargavin trails that they made this summer. I don't know if you had a chance to go up there and look, but it all washed out in that big landslide. And um, and I'd seen that they were going to be working up there, so I kind of avoided going there. And then later in the summer, I was like, "Well, I'll go see. Maybe they're done." And it was it was like night and day because that old trail had old road, then ATV trail had washed out and was all, and that was just all gone. It was filled back up to road again, and where the the runout had been, and there were all those logs that had just been piled up. A lot of that had been cleared. They'd rechanneled the river and, and, you know, put some of those logs. I was like, wow, those heavy equipments, you can do a lot, you know, just imagining what it would take for people and, and you know, manual tools to try and do all that stuff. It's like that would have taken a lot longer than it took them. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, when you have road access, you can use that heavy equipment. But, of course, if you're in the backcountry, the stuff's too yeah. big and heavy. And it only takes a few trips over a trail and you've kind of wrecked it. So, you know, I, we've been lucky to work in the past with like Oregon Woods and a guy named John Swat out of Catch Can and it's amazing how fast they could go through stuff with with hand tools. You know, mm. I think in a lot of situations they go as fast as a small excavator would. Oh wow. Yeah, they just know what they're doing and, and kind of develop the techniques. Yeah, they have specialized tools, especially this one tool. It looks like a hoe. It's called a green grubber, and they mm. sharpen it. It's probably about eight inches wide on the blade, and it'll go through roots. It'll cut muskeg, and then when they chop, they can just kind of pull the stuff out. And, you know, when the Forest Service crews had always used a Pulaski in the past, which just has this little narrow blade, it's always getting stuck, and it just... So, you know, they, they have tricks that really make things faster. And they're also really good with the helicopter logistics. Like, when they did the trail around Beaver Lake, the Herring Cove Trail, you know, they were dropping loads through trees that were 140 feet with 200-foot lines and putting it right on the trail, like, time after time. Gavin Hill was the same way. The trail up on the Harbor Mountain Ridge was the same way and they they just finished a trail a couple years ago in petersburg the raven roost trail which was incredible what they were able to do wow yeah i remember well even going way back to to gavin hill that i think there must have been planks that were were helicoptered in Mm -hmm. and and dropped and there would be 
I don't know if they just didn't use them all or, or what yeah. happened. And so there were some that were just up there as, as a bundle of boards. <laughs> yeah, there's piles all over. In the yeah. Woods. yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that trail with all the stairs, yeah, it was court, sort of became notorious, I guess, for the county. But it, it seems like the plans are that it's going <clears> to <throat> get redone again at this point. Um, and and in, in a more complete way, I remember I, I spoke with Roland Worth a little bit about it. Sounds like he's been able to work with you and mm-hmm. and um you know, looking at terrain and, and kind of making some decisions based on based on that, that seems like it's kind of a major reroute. Oh yeah, it's entirely rerouted. It, it basically takes off the cross trail a little bit toward Indian River mm-hmm. in a different location. There's a patch of big spruce. It kind of goes up and gets to catch that, which is really cool. And then it it um, angles up the Indian River Valley along the face of Gavin Hill um, until it gets up there quite a ways, and then it does one big long switchback, more or less. So, yeah, it's the whole idea is to get the grade down to about 15 or 20 percent. You know, there's occasional stairs and there's a couple cliffs um, that require staircases. But most of it, we can just put gravel on, which is mm. what we're after. Because the human body wants to, you know, they say 12 percent grade, which would be 12 feet of rise and 100 feet of elevation, is um, kind of the ideal slope for a hiking trail because people can continuously walk that. Most people of normal fitness or even, you know, backpackers for the pack can keep going at that and not get too tuckered out. And steps are very expensive per each. So the more we can avoid putting steps in, the better all the way around. So I guess, yeah, design considerations you have, the landscape, it's where you want to go, I suppose. That's a big one. And then the terrain and what restrictions there. It's not like it's wide open and everything's the same. So, And then in the the conditions of the ground, but then also then the needs of the people, I suppose. Yeah. 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 A trail like Gavin, as it's currently, what, what kind of percent is that? More like 20% or something? Or Well, you know, where there's staircases, those are anywhere from 40 to 70%. Oh, wow. Some of the steeper staircases are almost like ship ladders. You know, they're 60% is a normal stair, like in your house. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's long, long runs of steps. And those, well, they're starting to break down. <laughs> They're, they're definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're in bad shape now. Yeah, and it's been well, it's been almost twenty five years, I guess, since yeah. those went in, or right around twenty five years if they went in. I, I was trying to remember. It's like seems like ninety seven ish is is when I remember those going in. Yeah. So see if we get it rerouted, we put the gravel down, and you know, in twenty years we might need to add some more gravel to it, but mm-hmm. we won't have to go in and tear the whole thing down and rebuild it at really high cost. Because you know the Tongas it was in a, p- a position where they were basically replacing their whole s- trail system every twenty or twenty five years, and that's not sustainable. Yeah, no, that seems that seems suboptimal. Yeah, and well, the nice, the interesting thing. So Herring Cove is is a trail. Um, what it's I guess is it fifteen years old, something like that now, roughly. Mm-hmm. One of the things I was interesting to me about that. Well, it goes through the big split rock, which is kind of fun. So I imagine that was one where you're like scouting it out and you're seeing this. Oh, this could be a neat place for yeah. for a trail. And there's some structures there, wooden little bridge things over over a couple of different uh, water courses. But then a lot of the stone, uh, the steps are like, it looks like they're just stones that were in the area. I don't know how far they moved them, but they're large stones. They're not cut stones or anything. And and they kind of, was that that Oregon Trail crew that, that did that trail? Yeah, yeah. They Most of those stones came off that talus slope that you pass by when you're looking at the, right before the big waterfall mm. up there. So they moved them, moved them from there to yeah. the. It, so, was that with helicopter? And assist? that's what they did up on Gavit on that really, or on Harbor Side, a really cool section where all the big boulders are fit together. And mm-hmm. So what they did is they went up on that big talus slope there, and they just loaded the best rocks into helicopter bags. They could just roll them into the bags, and the helicopter comes in and 
picks them up and puts them where they need to be. Yeah, I remember hiking Gavin to Harbor one day, and those guys were, it wasn't a day of helicopters, because I think they closed the trail when they were running helicopters, but it was a day those guys were, were finding rocks, uh, you know, and big rocks. <laughs> and they, I, think, I think at that time they were working on the section between, uh, from like the shelter to the Gavin side, so they were collecting rocks over there, and then they were moving them, and those became the sort of the, the steps on the Gavin Ridge side of things that, yeah. that were put in and then looks like filled, I think filled with gravel on top of that, uh, which is, yeah, it's kind of, it seems like that holds up better uh, than, than wood over the long run, I imagine. Yeah, it's more natural. It's more yeah. interesting, you know, especially like over on Edgecombe where the geology is so important, mm-hmm. you know, like that last pitch up onto the peak of Edgecombe is a whole bunch of stone that's laid out and all that actually came off a of Crater Ridge. Hmm. There's a big talus slope there that had beautiful boulders, and I just remember those guys on this really steep slope are rolling these giant boulders and <laughs> just flying them back and forth from Crater Ridge to the top of Edgecombe like all day long. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That last section through the forest there is is pretty step step intensive, but I mean it's pretty steep there. There's not really much you could. There's not, there's not even any room to switch back that, no, that kind of area. There, there wasn't. No, that's right. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm kind of curious about, did you ever like look into the history? You mentioned the CCC was part of the Edgecombe. And I know Verstovia, I'm sure people went up there all the time before, but like the first trail uh, was a CCC project as well, had been my understanding. There's this kind of mystery trail that I, you know, I see remnants of that are becoming less and less apparent over the years uh, on the, you know, not the Falls Fork of Indian River, but the other Fork of yeah. Indian River. And uh, do you ever know where that came from or? I don't know. That was obviously more contemporary because it's made out of treated boardwalk. I know what you mean. You just kind of run across these um, old stairs or pieces yeah, of little pieces of bridge is is what I notice um, yeah. going up going up that yeah, yeah. western North Fork. Yeah, that probably you know that looks like seventies early eighties oh, okay. kind of work maybe. Yeah, it seemed like it must have been abandoned pretty quickly because it looked old. It was just the bridges that I would see. When I was first up there, which would have been like 90s, I guess. Yeah, you know, there was, I think there was maybe a big project up there because the second bridge, which is that big Mm -hmm. log bridge, um, they put in a structure bridge in there. And you might have seen these weird pieces of wood with these big discs cut out of them where they use these kind of timber connectors that are rings. They put that in, and like the first year after they put it in, it blew out. I don't mm. know if it was put too low, and a log took it out during a flood or what happened, but it used to be that upper section Indian River just was scattered with these chunks of treated wood that had blown out of that bridge. I do remember seeing those around up there, and there's a couple of, between the first and second bridge, there's a couple of um, concrete forms there that, that, I don't know what you call them, the basis of each side of the bridge, basically. It probably was sitting there. Yeah, yeah. and it's not very far. I mean, at that time then... The, and one of them's still up on the far side of the river. The one is still up in the near side of the river. It's like in the river, um, and and there's there's two of those that have been covered up by the the subsequent support law. You know when they I remember when they built the current first bridge, which is in need of some. It's getting a little wobbly these days, but the, I remember when they built that in '95. I actually have pictures of it when it was getting built, and they cut this large spruce tree that was there and, right. and cut it down, and and then reinforced that that kind of base there uh, with other logs, and um, which you can still see. But if you poke around in there, you can kind of see that concrete form. Um, I don't actually remember the the second bridge. That's the only one I ever remember. I don't remember it being different than that. So I, you know, my memories up there go back to kind of early '90s, mid '90s, I guess, really. So I'm, I'm assuming that the second bridge is older than the first bridge at this point, but mm-hmm. I don't know how much older. But yes, yeah, interesting. I guess that 
that, yeah, you spend a lot of money and then have a washout doesn't seem like such a happy day. (laughs) It's easy to underestimate these flood events. Yeah. Yeah, I've been up there when the trail as it is was underwater. Actually, uh, I went up there with a hiking class, uh, Sheldon Jackson hiking class. When I was a senior in high school, I was taking the hiking class with uh, Mike Turner. And one of the trips we went up there, we went up, we hiked up the trail. It was just one of those rainy days. Like, it didn't occur to me that it was an especially rainy day. But on the way back, the trail was, like, thigh deep in water in places. Uh, Just the water had come up Mm. that much. Uh, and was flooding significantly and was running down the trail in places. And some of those places have been rerouted since. In, you know, in the years since, there's been a number of sort of reroutes as things got cut out, you know, banks eroded away or, or the, you know, it was in the floodplain. So stuff just came down the trail area there. Yeah, right. And, and you can still see some evidence of places. I mean, it's more in my mind in some cases than, than it is in the, on the ground anymore just because of the nature of the way things go here. You know, anytime you put something outside, it's at risk of something happening to it. Yeah. And uh, I think about there was uh, the, in the 70s, the Forest Service built a tramway into Readout Lake. Oh, yeah. That was a really complex engineered structure against the left side of the left uh, falls and the first year a log came down and just ripped the whole thing out oh wow and it had a tracks on it where you could put your skiff on and you could take it up into the lake and you know it's quite a thing I, just, I only saw the plans for it i never saw it done but i know. saw the remains of it i remember when i was a kid so this probably would have been very early 80s going fishing there my dad going fishing there and um seeing seeing the the structure some of the structures remaining but and and hearing that that was a place where you you could have moved your boat over, but uh, yeah, that's a yeah quite a project that yeah you underestimate the underestimate things. It's and it's unfortunate it seems to happen like right after you do it too. It's not like some of these events happen every year, and I guess that can build a little complacency. Well, you know, I think um, you know things are changing out there. I mean, I've only been doing this for thirty years, so obviously I don't have geologic time perspective. But it does seem like that there's um, these massive flood events are more common, and you see more locations where you'll have water actually flowing across the ground. Like that's what happened at the beginning of the Herring Cove Trail. Mm-hmm. There was a big rain event. And water just came out of the hill in places where if you looked at that hillside, you know, it's all appears to be underlain with cobble. And it's, so it's very permeable. And normally, you know, any water that came from above, if it wasn't in a stream, would just go into the ground and it would just flow right through the gravel underneath. Like, you know, that stream up by the waterfall usually doesn't even have water in it, right? Right. It's so yeah. permeable. But there was this rain event that, that came down and water just flowed across the ground everywhere down in that the lower section, like right above the very first bridge, mm-hmm. and blew out a lot of that gravel. So, you know, um, it seems like that kind of thing is happening more and more. Yeah, I do remember, it may, be, it may have even been that event. I was talking to somebody, this is not that many years ago, and uh, up up the hill a little ways, it kind of there was a debris flow channel that where it just came mm-hmm. down and blew out part of the trail. And I talked to somebody that was on the trail that day that all of that was happening and they were up there and they they noticed like the water had been running clear and was starting to run brown. And, and, you know, the stuff hadn't blown out when they were on their way down, fortunately, but it was, uh, you know, it was on its way. And my brother and I walked up there the next day, I think, after things had settled just to see you know, see, see what had happened. I'm always kind of curious about that. And yeah, I was just listening to somebody the other day and they were talking about, you know, part of what's happening is that people are putting things in places where those sort of events happen. And so we notice it a lot more. And that I always wonder about that, you know, it's like a debris, debris flow channel, like that one that I noticed, 
would probably disappear within a decade or something. So if it's like a once every few decades event sort of thing that happens, like I don't know that I would notice it. Somebody who knew what they were looking for probably would. Mm-hmm. But I was I was wondering about that a little bit and those those hill slopes. But yeah, there's an impressive amount of water and a lot of it. That that slope in particular seems to be very porous. You know. Yeah. So how much water must have been coming down for that to all be on the surface like that? You know, like a few years ago when there was all those slides up in Olga and Neva Straits. Oh, right. And yeah. I, I was hunting up on Partoshnikov, and I came across some really small streams that had blown out, like, so deep I just couldn't even believe it. Like, it looked like almost 20 feet. And how that happened, I don't know, but it's hard to – and, you know, it, it was definitely the kind of event looking at the surrounding terrain that probably didn't happen very often. Yeah. And, you know, so we're just seeing all these landslides and all this crazy stuff going on. And I think it's related to climate change. And and so we need to, in terms of trail construction, you know, it makes it more imperative that we deal with drainage and try to make it hardened to so it can withstand that sort of thing. Well, there's a nice example. Uh, it seems like on Gavin Hill, on the current route where... You know, you don't normally see water there at all, but there was this massive, like, like there's a ravine that comes down. I actually followed it down one time. I was just kind of curious, okay, where does this go? And and it's, you know, it's a pretty narrow ravine, and it's, it's a, I guess, a what, an alluvial fan or a colluvial fan? I never remember which one's which, but, and there's there's large spruce trees there, but they're kind of, the bases of them are buried in this this rock. And yeah, yeah. this was, this was I don't know, 20 feet. It was one of those times when we had a, a significant rain event, and then that, that section it just blew a ton of stuff down. And when I came down, you know, it was, it was interesting. There was very narrow choke points that were deep and everything was, you know, I suspect there was an acceleration that was happening through there just because you have all this volume and you have a narrow thing that it has to accelerate. And then when it got to the, just above the trail, it broadened out again. And so then stuff just spread and you have this big fan of, of pretty good sized rocks that, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm always kind of like, I don't know that I'd really want to be there, but I'm kind of curious, like, what would it have been like to be there when yeah. that was happening and, and seeing that? You know, some of those things are those debris torrents. Oh, right. Where yeah. you'll get a big V-notch up high on a mountain that'll plug up with logs and stuff over the years. And then all that sediment will build up behind it. And then you'll get a big event and then it'll come down. And those things are just catastrophic. And, you know, that took out the beginning of the trail up to Heart Lake from the Blue Lake Road. A few years ago, oh, well, it was probably like 10 years ago now when it, it plugged the culvert on the Blue Lake Road and then flooded down and actually went and flooded rocks into the mill site and everything. And, and uh, yeah, it just is a big seething ball of stumps and logs and everything going really fast. And it just, it'll take out anything in its path. Yeah, it's kind of impressive after after the Stargavin landslide and, and some of the other landslides around. I was kind of curious, like, well, especially the Stargavin one. It's like, how did all of these logs get so far down? Because, like, in my mind, I'm thinking, could they have floated? And then in talking to people, coming to understand, well, when it's a mud slurry, it that can float rocks. Like, it's dense enough that, that mm-hmm. it's floating things that you wouldn't think of as floating. And then it's moving down, like you say, in this debris torrent thing. Uh, I remember going up... Medvici Lake one time, uh, just to the lake there on that on that trail, and seeing, or it had happened sometime earlier, but there was not huge channels, but you know, a foot, a couple feet wide and deep, and then on the sides of them there was just like um, uh, finer finer sediment where I think it had probably been a debris torrent that had come down from above, and it's a different stone there, you know, than we have right around most of town. It's the more granodiorite stuff, mm-hmm. and so kind of much coarser grained and that kind of thing, but. I figured it must have been, you know, scoured out pretty pretty scoured out in one event, and it was it was high enough that that like the finer stuff was sort of going off the sides, you know, in in the in the little eddies and settling out there. 
And I don't, I don't remember what rain event that might have been, but um, you know that valley there is so steep. It's just like, and if if stuff goes, it's, it's just got to come down, I guess. Uh, and it is, yeah, it's kind of impressive how much how much water these these uh, slopes shed. And but sometimes it's still too much, and uh, and it gets to be a little bit sloppy. So the um, when you're when you're giving consideration to that, like what are the sorts of things? I, I guess bridges is one thing if you can make them high enough. I know that on. On that one event that you were mentioning on Herring Cove Trail, that bridge below the waterfall, or, or you know, the bridge where you can—it's it's below the waterfall in the sense that that Bear Mountain waterfall comes down in the in mm-hmm. the stream that's often dry, <laughs> runs underneath it there. But it was piled up with rock on it, like it had been just sounds like pretty close to blowing out, and then that they were able to to raise it up a little higher. And is that sufficient then? Is like that then everything will move underneath it? I mean, you hope so, but, you know, rivers, um, they, they downcut and they fill and they also move from right to left, right? And so you hope your abutments are in a place where they're not going to be destabilized. But, you know, um, you just never know. It just kind of depends on the chronology, too, I think, of the event that happens and how the rocks flow. And maybe one root wad hangs up at a certain place. And you know, also, um, logs are a big agent of destruction, of course. You know, if you get a big high flow and it carries a log with it, and a log jams up against the underside of the bridge, then you've really got a mess because, you know, there's just a tremendous amount of force there, and it'll back up the whole stream, and that'll pile it up and create more force. And so, you know, when you locate bridges, you've got to just do the best you can because it's all kind of uh, trying to figure out what's the best route for the trail in terms of construction techniques. But also, you know, trails aren't really... um, they're not really transportation corridors. They're not supposed to be freeways. They're supposed to be experiences, right? And so you want to see the cool stuff. And sometimes to see the cool stuff, you've got to circle by some stuff that's maybe a little bit risky because that's where you see it from. Like in Herring Cove is a great example of that. I mean, Herring Cove Trail has so much cool stuff. You know, like every couple hundred feet, there was something up there to go by. And for me, the whole design challenge was how do you present this to people so they really you know, get the impact of each individual piece of this landscape because, you know, it's very variable and there's a lot of it. And, uh, yeah. Well, in Herring Cove, you have the the wide gravel, flat, you know, I guess that's accessible trails. Is that the term for it? So there where, where, you know, restricted mobility people can get to. There's a nice bench there and a nice Mm -hmm. little waterfall. And then from there, the character definitely changes. Uh, You know, you have a narrow bridge and then then this single sort of single uh single track if you will uh going up that kind of winds its way around it goes goes through that that uh large i mean presumably sometime in the past thousands of years that rock fell from somewhere up high and landed there and and i don't know if it split when it landed or 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 sometime afterwards but it's this you know crevice between then there's this rock stuck between them which is kind of wild that is wild Uh, it's kind of clear that some some folks have been climbing up it you know you can see that people climb up around it to, to get up on top there sometimes and then you go up and and it you know goes over and winds its way just kind of touches where the water course comes down and it's i don't know I guess depends on what you want to call it, but it's kind of a waterfall cascade kind of thing. So mm-hmm. you have that nice view there. That was another place that kind of, I think that overflowed a little bit and, and washed some stuff out. But the stone stairs there seemed like they held up pretty well. There's a little bit of the stuff around them. There. Yeah. I think that particular spot used to be the old channel cause there's kind of a depression that goes on right. down the hill. So that thing used to go straight and now it's over to where it is and it could go straight again. Yeah. Yeah. The things, things they like to move sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I suppose it's yeah. Where things pile up. 
and then uh, and then you switch back around you come up and then there's the stone steps and you have that view of that little like it's a little miniature canyon it's kind of a kind of a cool place yeah. i tried walking up there like like waiting really is what you have to do and there got to a point where there's a little cascade up there that i didn't feel like i could could go up but i've poked around a little bit there it's kind of a neat little just little that that really narrow channel that it comes through mossy and yeah yeah for from a construction standpoint that was pretty amazing to watch those guys do that because if you look at that little viewing area there's a stone there you can sit Mm -hmm. on and look up into that mossy canyon and and there's probably 12 or 15 feet of fill below that that created that level spot and if you look above that whole slope is big boulders that came off of Bear Mountain and um, they just picked those boulders off and rolled them down and keyed them together and did all that work by hand or with grip hoist. They did a little bit of blasting with this device where they drill a hole in the rock and then they put like a shotgun shell in there hmm. and it goes off and it cracks the rock and they had to do that in a couple of places because they were too big to move but they moved some tremendous rocks up there to create that whole spot. Wow, yeah, it, it's a it's an impressive. I, I enjoy it. It's a little sketchy when it gets icy, but that's true of every trail <laughs> around here. But I really I really like that spot, and then it goes up. Then you're out on the kind of the well, it's a little bit of a flatter area. It's not like strictly flat, but kind of open forest up there, and and the streams. Yeah, there, there's places where there are cleared channels, and I've seen in when it's wetter that there's water running, but there because they're not full channels they're filled with moss and so often when there is water moving through there it's moving through and it's like a green a green stream mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of a cool look there going along those and then through this larger tree forest and then you come to the like there's the big snow pile uh avalanche run out place so the big piles of snow and then the, and then the waterfall although it was a couple of years ago an avalanche came down uh just to the left of that tall waterfall there and kind of blew some stuff out which was kind of, I went up there in the spring and there was still snow down there and all the avalanche debris was kind of out there. I was like, wow, I, you know, sometimes those things, those things come down and, and probably a good thing not to be there, but there's probably a reason that wasn't all forest up there. You know, it's probably a periodic thing that, that, that happens. Yeah. Where that bench is, where you're looking at that big right. waterfall, if you look behind that whole forest is blown down from the concussion from an avalanche in the past. Mm. Wow. All those trees are laying in the same direction. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, kind of, again, one of those things where it just depends on the year. I remember that snowy year in 97, 98, um, I had gone up uh, Medvici up beyond, up towards Camp Lake and stuff before. And and then after that winter, uh, there was apparently a massive avalanche that went up there that winter, went, took came down that winter. I don't know if it was like the whole cirque up there that came down or what, but there's the kind of large uh, granitic type of cliff on the on the right side, on the cross mountain side, and then and it's kind of a narrow point. And coming down through there, just everything was blown out. All the trees, I think there was this clear cut line where the avalanche had just roared down mm-hmm. through there and just taken out everything in its path. It's a little bit sloppy where the trail used to go was went through part of what was that avalanche path and it was it was a bit of a mess. But it was just one of those things like it probably I mean there were some old trees that got taken down so it didn't happen very often but that that heavy snow year and conditions were right i guess and those avalanches can really blast things out and it's it's easy to forget that you know as you're wandering around in the terrain that that it's shaped by you know multi-millennial sort of forces sometimes like things that don't happen very often but are destructive enough uh, that they they impact things in a way and it's it's for me, at least, I like to try and remind myself, oh, there's there's some stuff going on here sometimes. But those avalanches are a way. 
And so, yeah, that, that kind of area there, and there's a little bit of a unofficial trail. And so I'm kind of curious, you know, you, you've developed the trails, but then like there's the unofficial trail that goes over to, right to the base of the waterfall. And I suppose that's just kind of natural. Are those some, some things that you, do you try and anticipate those sometimes and, and sort of build for them or, or how does that, how does that sort of work in your, in your planning and development process? Yeah. I mean, you want to, you, you can't make people go where they don't want to go. So you, it, you know, you have to kind of nudge them in the direction you might want them to go. And that particular particular spot you know i always thought the route was up the creek but um somebody went in and brushed that out and actually made a little sign i don't think it was a sanctioned forest service trail but you know it's cool yeah and, yeah uh, i'd i'd gone up the creek before it was is really brushy yeah. <laughs> and then the creek is deep in places uh-huh. but that that route yeah i think having it brushed out was helpful uh and then I think because of it was right at the edge of the trees, it tended to stay brushed out a little better than than going through the middle might have. Uh, it got a little bit messed up by that avalanche, but um, but yeah, I didn't get the impression it was ever an official trail, but no, it, it seems like a, a popular trail. A lot of people go off to that little little spot there. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, there's no end of unofficial trails around town routes, we'll call them. <laughs> and I suppose, I mean, is that part of what? Do you take that? I mean, often those just kind of go up the mountain, you know, they're straight up the mountain. So they're not, not, you know, they're, they're pragmatic people want to get to the top and they're just going. Um, so when, when you're considering new places to put trails, like what, what kind of, uh, I mean, do you look where people are already going and is that part of your considerations? Well, you know, we, uh, a lot of it's done through a planning process like the trail plan, mm-hmm. which is going through revision right now. The Sika Trail Works and Ben Huey are working on. Um, the original trail plan was done 20-some years ago, and that resulted in, you know, all the trails that we built since then, uh, Thimbleberry, Herring Cove. Um, uh, cross trails. Yeah. Cross trail, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, you know, I think it's a it's kind of a joint effort with the public and, you know, coming up with ideas and presenting them and seeing what people like and what they don't like. And the whole idea of routes is often discussed, you know, well, do we really need to spend all this money to build a trail when we could just mark it and give people maybe a track line for their GPS and they could follow it? And I've always been really resistant to that because what happens is they just turn into these god-awful eroded messes. And, you know, it doesn't take very long. Like the, the trail up on the Bear Mountain and Bear Lake and stuff is just even in the last couple of years. And Stargavin Ridge, when we did the last trail plan, it was actually a pretty nice walkable route. And now the main route up there is just super, super mucked out. Yeah. So our soils, you know, because they're so organic, they just can't they can't stand many passes i mean i've seen trail crews make more damage on a trail going back and forth in two weeks of work than they repaired when they were hiking up and down the trail to work on it (laughs) yeah yeah the stargaven ridge one in particular i remember going up there probably the first time i went up there was in the late 90s and there were so many flags uh it's just like i don't know why it was so heavily flagged but i remember going up there but it didn't it it was like a trail but i don't remember it seeming like especially well-traveled. And I think at the time it was probably, you know, there were local people that went up there, hunters and, and so forth, and and some people recreating. But um, not, I mean, I think the rise of social media and Gaia GPS and all of these mapping things and GPSs on phones or even, even before that GPSs that had, you know, screen maps and stuff where you could easily follow a route has probably made those things a lot more popular. It would be my guess. And yeah, now there's places where it just it just keeps getting wider and wider because people are trying to avo- avoid that. There was one one exception there as you're getting up 
kind of leaving the, the bigger forest into the the last of the sort of treed areas, there's a place that's actually it, it wore out so much that it's actually better now because it it it, uh-huh. it it channeled out enough that it's just on bedrock and the mud cleared out. And so it's, it used to be a deep mud hole and now it's just rock. And I was like, oh, this is actually easier. <laughs> but yeah. most of it is definitely not that way. It's gotten wider. And now there's a couple alternate routes that I've noticed have, have started to form as trees fall over or whatever and, and those sort of things. And so it is, yeah, I was, it's kind of mixed feelings about it. You know, it's a night that in particular, like if it's going to get that much traffic, it probably would do better with a trail, you know, that sort of thing. And it is nice to have places to go though where there aren't but there's lots of places to go where there aren't you know yeah. official trails if you have the skill to bushwhack and follow the deer trails and not get lost or yeah and that is always the the, the question yeah <laughs> uh and wandering around and yeah not get stuck on cliffs or you know cliffed out and that kind of thing it's part of the fun for me but yeah knowing when to turn around is an important an important aspect of that for sure there's an awful lot of um challenging challenging places to go let's put it that way so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I know that they've been in that process for Stargavin to, um, with proposals to have a route that – have a trail that goes up Stargavin Ridge and then I think down to the other side where the Calian – meeting up with the Calian Road so you could do a kind of yeah. a loop thing with that. I don't know if that's what it'll end up being in another – and a connector that will go up and come up behind the shelter on Harbor Gavin. So you could – I've heard that's a nice route to go. I've never been back that way. But, um, but yeah, it'll be I'm, – I'm sure it's – you know, years years in the making. <laughs> well, Sika Trail Works. Um, you know, they've been they're in their second part of their trail planning process. They went through some initial public scoping and put some ideas out there and got some feedback, and then they refined their list. And um, I, they just put the refined list out this week for additional public comment. And uh, I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, but I'd encourage everybody to just go to Sika Trail Works site and make your comments because there's a lot of good information there now. Yeah, I was seeing, I, I think I got that email from, from Sika Trail Works and I, I saw the names and a couple of them were familiar and a couple of them was like, I wonder where that is, and, but I haven't had a chance to look at the map yet. Uh, and I don't know how much there, it, it seems like some of that's coordinated with what the Forest Service kind of already had in, in the works. I think because they're already doing some EIS stuff at Stargavin, like it made sense to just mm-hmm. do it all at once. Mm-hmm. The, the public comment and that kind of thing and then they didn't have to do it again. But then, the, yeah, the trail works thing is is broader than that. You know, looking at Verstovia's route is not optimal from a, like, parking standpoint. It's it's terrible to park there. I guess it runs through private property to start with. Yeah, and, so, and it's really steep. And it's really steep. Um, some people, yeah, yeah. I, I, remember, I saw some comments, uh, the Ben Huey of the trail works had posted and, and was asking for feedback. And, you know, where, and there were some people that are like, yeah, some for some folks, that's a, a benefit, not a, you know, you just get up there faster, you yeah. know, and they're looking to go up there skiing or whatever. They don't want to be taken all the time. But, but yeah, that, that trail, um, I remember when they were building that, that was one of the, maybe it was the, I don't know if it was the first trail works project, but it was one of the first trail work yeah. projects with mm-hmm. uh, the money that had come in with Stevens to, uh, um, to give mill workers when the mill closed down right. some, some work. And uh, Sean, Sean McLeod was up there and, and some other guys up there working on that. And I think it was the summer of 96. I was back home for the summer from, from school and, and going up there and some days there'd just be lots of helicopter traffic and they're going up there, but they had to do some, some significant rock work in a couple of places there to kind of uh, get that trail through. And, and I guess is that part of what you mentioned steps are expensive. Is it, is it just 
like because cutting them in or just any kind of steps are expensive or some are well like if you build a log step you've got to, <clears throat> you've got to find a suitable log and then you've got to mill it and cut you know it's got to be the right size and then you drill holes in it to stake it in the ground and then you've got to bed it into the ground and you know a lot of times you've got to bring the logs in from somewhere else so you still got to fly material and then you know they last 20 25 years and with stone steps you've got to find rocks in a rock pit usually that are of the right shape and size to um, you know, be stable and be comfortable to walk on, and and uh, more recently we started using these precast concrete steps, mm. and uh, those are really walkable, and they're about the same price as stone steps, and they're not susceptible to erosion because they lap on top of each other, so there's no exposed gravel behind them. But uh, yeah, anytime you're going up a hill, it's it costs a lot more than if you're going across level ground, typically. And um, but there aren't that many places with level ground around here right. to have trails, and you know people always have the idea that they a trail should go up a mountain. But you know I'm really excited about the South Sika Sound Trail that's being proposed in the trail plan because it's a coastal trail, and so you know a lot of the year it's going to be snow free. Where you think about the investment on some of these trails, unless you're a big skier or something like Verstovia is kind of a different deal. But Harbor Mountain, and you know if they did the Lucky Chance Trail and stuff, it's really a three or four month. Thing. And yeah. the rest of the time, it's, you know, it's a snow trip for sure, which really is limiting for most people. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the places like Lucky Chance is, um, you know, there's the historic trails there, which are kind of interesting. Those old corduroy trails, trails actually ran into some corduroy up Indian River, like on the other side of the river once. I don't know if it's still there, but it's like remains of it. And I guess, I imagine it was from the old mining trail, which would have been yeah. at that point probably you know 80 80 90 years old um but yeah the old trail building technology i guess has put a lot of uh relatively small diameter i guess maybe three three to five inch sort of chunks of wood down and and then i don't even know if they covered it with gravel they probably not unless they had river gravel yeah they would just cut them you know like 30 inches long Mm -hmm. and just bed them tight against each other and and um actually i picked up that detail we used it on a portage on the honker divide canoe route between hatchery creek and the thorn river and because it was a long way to fly gravel and there and there was all these small pole red cedars around and Mm. it was great they would just bed these logs in the ground take a chainsaw and kind of smooth the top off and then for that we actually got mineral soil and we kind of sprinkled it in the cracks between where the logs sat, and that um, that made it a lot nicer walking surface because it wasn't slick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the one thing with logs is they get a little slippery sometimes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you bury them in the ground, they last for a long time. Like the like you said, those ones up at Lucky Chance are well over a hundred years old, and they're all yellow cedar, but they're you know they're still solid. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to get back to Lucky Chance, but I saw some of the ones uh, above Blue Lake um, before the dam got raised. Um, there was, um, you know, there was sections where there was still evidence of the old corduroy trail that went up to go to Glacier Lake. Right. And I, I, I went. I tried to get to Glacier Lake one day. <laughs> I didn't quite make it. There's a knob and then a kind of a ravine between the knob and the last push. Uh, but I've heard these, I, going back, I don't know, I guess I was in high school the first time I heard about Glacier Lake and, and the then the steps they cut in the stone at the end. I don't know if you've ever been up there or not. I but haven't. Yeah, it seems like a sounds like a pretty neat place. And and they had um, they had put a hole uh, uh, in the in the a tap. They tapped the lake so so the lake actually doesn't flow out where it used to. It flows through the tap. 
and the, and they put these cut these steps in the stone. That's what I've heard about, but didn't happen to make it. I I ended up running out of time and not quite the right place. So <laughs> maybe someday I'll be able to get back up there. But yeah, it's it's a lot of these kind of historical trails. People went places, and and I guess at the time you just take your saw and and you know your donkey and your cart. I guess I don't know what all they were, what all they were using, but with the mine equipment, it's kind of a amazing to think of how much work went into some of those yeah like the you think the lucky chance trail there's the old uh, mill site that's way up that valley at the bottom of lucky chance lakes and um there's a stamp mill up there that you know it's the size of a big diesel engine out of a ship i mean the thing is huge it's got big thick castings and it's probably five feet tall and and they hauled that all up salmon lake trail on that corduroy on wagons and then on up that valley and it's probably five five or six miles to get up there wow just incredible yeah yeah i wonder if they did some of that on snow and sleds if that would be easier yeah probably would be yeah yeah, and it has been an interesting uh, thing to watch over the years. I mean, you're working 30 years here. You've had a chance to, you know, uh, see see the sort of changes in, in both the trail design and, and um, approach. Uh, and I remember it seemed like for a long time it was boardwalk all the time. And like Beaver Lake was another one of those where the right. initial loop was all boardwalk, it seemed like. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And these days it's it's gradually, it seems like it's... I don't. I don't know if there's been a single project that's that's kind of redone it, but it seems like it's been part of a, the trail crew's work over the years. Is various things sort of broke down that they've they've transitioned it more to um, rock. It's, it's what it seems like. It's been the been the the choice since in in I don't know how long that's been been happening. Yeah, that's pretty much the standard detail now is to do it do it out of rock. Um, but you know, there's still places where you have to do boardwalks. There's some places you need to be up off the ground where you need to actually sink posts into the ground to elevate it, um, because there's going to be high water events that you just can't have water flowing against the, even a boardwalk that's floating. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I'd say boardwalk is probably maybe only 10 percent if mm. you do a good location on the trail in a typical um, environment. Maybe 10 percent, 20 percent of the project. The rest of it can be rock. Yeah, one of the things I like about one of my favorite parts of that Beaver Lake Trail is those places where those rocks are right on the shoreline. Although it looks like some of those need to be reset, I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Uh, over over time, is the I, probably ice freezing and thawing and stuff, and and a little bit of yeah, they get a little bit um, destabilized underneath. But um, yeah, I was there when they set those. There was a couple of guys, or a guy and a, and a woman in in wetsuits in oh, the wow. lake, and and. There was this old-time helicopter pilot that was flying those in, and, and some of them weighed 3,000 pounds, and he said that it was the heaviest thing that he had ever lifted with a helicopter, and they just set them right in the lake like that. So, wow. yeah, it was really neat. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah. I mean, there's a lot of nice things about that Herring Cove Beaver Lake Trail entirely. And I guess, yeah, the other major change in the Beaver Lake Trail is that big reroute to turn it into, instead of a short switchback, one really long switchback. I think there had been some slides or something that had d- damaged, maybe even going further back, a slide that had damaged part of the trail and they rerouted. And then right. now it's uh, and, and switching to a sort of wider gravel. Although it did wash out a little bit, I guess, at the the one end, there's places where in a heavy, heavy rain event, it uh, seems like that's been switched out with coarser rock now but uh yeah they, they've kind of fixed that that's at least it's washing rock onto the trail so you just have to yeah. rake it around and it's all good yeah 
Yeah, and that kind of that end of that switchback there ends that there's a little bench and a kind of a wet cliff, mossy cliff. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know how many people like to look at moss, but I like to look at moss. So yeah. <laughs> it's fun. To, it's fun to see that see that little place. And I uh, is there, are there any sort of highlights of your your sort of uh, trail trail designing career um, around here that, that in terms of the trails in terms of landscape or well just the trails like like things that went into the trail that I mean I imagine there's things that you appreciate as kind of a landscape architect trail designer that that would probably fly under the radar of many of us but um you know i think the edgecombe trail was a real high point for me um, because i was over there for so long i really got a good understanding of what that whole place was about and we tried a bunch of new techniques that's where we first ever tried gravel and we did all these test plots with different sizes of gravel and different kind of geotextile fabrics and different depths and that kind of led us to this whole new way of doing things and working on the top of the mountain there and doing those that last pitch of the volcanic rock that goes up to where you get to the subalpine and then setting all those posts that you follow from one to the next to get on top of the ridge are just kind of markers. You know, I don't know. That was just a really great time to just be out there, living out mm. there, you know. Um, what are the are those posts? Cedar? Yeah, they're cedar log oh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can I, – I realized – within the last couple of years that if I take a picture with my telephoto lens in the winter and there's snow up there, I can see the post. From town? Yeah, from oh, really? Lake Seymour. Oh, yeah. oh, that's cool. And you can just see the little... So, so I was like, ah, theoretically, I can tell how deep the snow is. I'm sure it gets you know wind blasted a lot because yeah. of where it's at. But yeah, yeah. you can just see them sticking up because the snow is... Otherwise, it's all smooth and there's these little little dots going up the... Regular pattern. Yeah. yeah. Going I think up we we to, went yeah. up there in the fog one time and we figured out how far you could see in typical conditions, foggy conditions from one to the next. And that's how we got the distance. I think another place that I worked, which is super special, of course, is White Sulphur. Mm. And so I redid the, uh, did a new design for a new bathhouse there. And we did a plan for the trail, which didn't get implemented, unfortunately, but um, put a new cabin in there. And, you know, White Sulphur is just amazing. Have you ever been to White Sulphur? Yeah, just, just once or twice but yeah not 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 since it's been redone i was there yeah. at the old bathhouse and and um and it was like actually it was most of it was kind of a backcountry hike we got dropped off and then and then uh at um porcupine bay or something that's north of there and and hiked, hiked cross country oh, yeah. and hmm. we're doing some survey kind of stuff and then mm-hmm. and then uh spent some time at white sulfur just like an hour or two is all we had and then and theoretically we're going to hike all the way to goulding harbor we didn't quite make it that far we we ended up oh. in another but that was another one where that's an old trail and yeah. there was some evidence of it in places but it was really spotty there were places like there's a big slough up there that were just like we didn't know where to go and yeah you know i one time i went to um dry pass Mm-hmm. which is by Goulding, right? And we left the boat in Dry Pass, and we, we took off on a falling. We figured out that you've got to cross, um, it's called Sea Level Slough, which is the slough that comes out by White Sulphur, and it floods this big area on a higher tide. You know, it's 10 feet deep. And saners used to go in there and fish and stuff. The whole place is uplifting pretty fast from isostatic rebound, so it's changing. But, but you could leave at Sea Level Slough, and if you timed it just right, you could get to, or you could leave at um, Dry Pass, hike like three miles if you got to sea level slough at just the right time on a falling tide you could wait it tide continues to drop you can race over soak for a while at white sulfur and get back before the tide and wade back across the slough before the tide gets too high yeah we had to wait a little bit 
Uh, so yeah. I guess we yeah. were lucky because we didn't really know that that's what needed to happen. But I didn't know where the actual trail was for a while. So we did a little bushwhacking. And then yeah. I think we crossed paths with it again. I ended up hurting my foot. And so we went down to water and radioed for the folks that were waiting for us. And they brought the skiff around and, uh, and it got us. But it's really interesting country up there. And white sulfur seemed, I mean, I think I remember hearing about there was so many people that had left their marks, so to speak, in the old bathhouse. Was that one of the things that y- y'all tried to? Yeah, when we redid it, we, we kind of, we took the best timbers. It was these red cedar panabode, typical like three by six timbers that had really great carvings. And you go in there with some somebody who grew up here and they go, oh yeah, well, you know, it'd be like, DL plus CD, and he goes, well, she, now he's with her, and she's married to him, and, yeah. and, you know, they say all this stuff, So, but we salvaged the best ones out of there, and some are very artfully done, you know, and then we reinstalled them in the new bathhouse. We had enough to do two walls, and then the other two walls, we just put in new red cedar, and, mm. you know, people are free to carve on them as long as they yeah. prefer not use Sharpies. Yeah, yeah, I, I've noticed the... Um, the shelter on Harbor Mountain has has a mix of Sharpie and carving, mostly Sharpie up there, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that one's been, were you part of the shelter on Harbor Mountain I as well? I designed that, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's held up pretty well. I mean, that's been yeah. 30 years now, I guess, since since that went in. It's, that was all built out of yellow cedar that um, John Williams cut out on Whale Island. And yeah, just super heavy duty. Yeah, I mean, and it gets some snow load. I, I was, uh, I was uh, <laughs> when I... Went up there in the the winter, uh, summer of 98, no, summer of 99, I guess. It was after the winter of 98, 99. And, um, and that winter, it had a lot of snow. But I didn't, in my mind, like the year before, it hadn't. I'd hiked up in, in the 1st of June. It was, trail was clear. There was like a couple of snow patches here and there, but it was clear all the way to Harbor Mountain. So I thought coming back from college, it's going to be like that. It wasn't, uh, but I, I went up there anyway and was in completely like nothing, nothing exposed snow from Gavin Ridgeline all the way over. And just the, just the, the top of the roof was all that was exposed and somebody had dug down so I could get into the shelter Yeah, yeah. Uh, where, where, you know, it's a split door. So it's just the, the top part of the door that would open up. Uh, and this was in June. So it, it definitely has to deal with some snow loads. Uh, and I don't know how much it melted out by them, probably quite a bit. Uh, so, yeah, in, impressive structure and uh, seems to be very popular, uh, you know, well used. A lot of people like to hike, including me, hike the Harbor Mountain to the shelter and back just kind of as a day hike. It's fun to go up there with little kids because when they go in there and they realize they're in a building that's kind of their scale, mm. they, they just get all excited, run around in circles. And yeah, yeah, yeah I love that part of it. Yeah, there used to be a little uh, logbook like they have in cabins, but yeah. it seems like there hasn't been one of those for a while. So. When my daughter was a, a baby, um, Arnie Johnson still had a helicopter over at the airport. And we, my mom came up and I said, well, let's just charter Arnie for an hour and go flying around. And we went flying around and we went up to Indigo Lake and flew around. And we land, and I had my daughter and she was still nursing at the time in my arms. And we landed up next to the shelter up there. And there was this German guy who was asleep and we woke him oh, up. Oh, no. <laughs> and he jumped out and he was like... These crazy Americans, what are they doing? You know, because I've got this little baby and this helicopter's raging and I had a log book. I was dropping the log book oh, off. Yeah. That's what we think of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those log books are always fun to review yeah. and look through and see. I, th- yeah. I think they still have them in, in the cabins, but I don't know. They don't seem to have it there anymore. So, yeah. yeah. Well, we're kind of getting to the end of our time here. Anything you want to mention before we wrap up? Oh, and it's fun talking to you. Yeah, Thanks. I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's always enjoy hearing what's going on around out there, and trails are a big part of what people enjoy, including me around here. And so, yeah, it's fun to hear a little bit more about what goes into them. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
You've been listening to a conversation I recorded just a couple of days ago with Barth Hamburg. I want to thank him for taking some time to visit with me. And thank you for joining me here on the Sitka Nature Show this week. As always, I'd love to hear what you're seeing out there. Please feel free to send me an email, sitkanature at gmail.com, or you can get on Facebook and like the Sitka Nature page there. I'll be back at the first of the year. Until then, this has been Matt on the Sitka Nature Show, KCAW Sitka.